present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose you that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. All those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Do you think that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it, and dung it, fertilize it. If it bear fruit, that'll be good. If not, then we'll just cut it down. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the Living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can download our Luke study notes from our website for this passage, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, where Jesus is quite aware of current events in Jerusalem. We're listening to Dr. John G. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast. Here are two events referred to in this passage. One concerns the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices and the other had to do with 18 men who died when a tower in Jerusalem fell on them and killed them all. Now the suppositions in that day were these people were worse sinners than all others because bad things happened to them. And why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Jesus speaks to those reporting these current events of the day happening in the capital city, Jerusalem, that unless they repented, they too would perish like those of whom they had reported. They needed to believe in Jesus as well. Here's Dr. Mitchell, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Again, we come to you with our studies in the Gospel through Luke. We're in chapter 13, and I'm going to read the first nine verses. And this has to do with the need of repentance, the need for repentance. Chapter 12 had ended with these people of Israel being weather wise but spiritually dead. Hence, there was a need for repentance. So we come into chapter 13. He's now he's dealing with a group. And I read, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. 
And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose you that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. All those, all those eighteen, upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, do you think that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then he gives us an illustration. He spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it, and dung it, fertilize it, and if it bear well, if it bear fruit, that'll be good. If not, then we'll just cut it down, and so on. Let me stop right here. The need for repentance. In the first five verses, there was a need for personal repentance. Now, let me repeat it again at the end of chapter 12. He's rebuking them for their unbelief. That they were weather-wise, but they were spiritually dead. They didn't. They were not able to read the times, especially that time in which our Lord was there. Hence, there was a need for personal repentance. And in the first five verses, he takes up personal repentance. And then verses 6 and 9, he takes up the need for national repentance. Now, you notice these two stories, one in Galilee, one Jerusalem. And there were those present at that season who told them about the Galileans who Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, it's possible that the Jews, these Jews, were from Judea. And, uh, of course, they had a very poor attitude toward the Galileans. And they, they thought that disasters and calamities were warnings from God. Speaking of the brevity of time, like you have it in James 4, where it speaks of the fact that life is but a fleeting shadow. Today isn't gone tomorrow. And there's no question that disasters and calamities are warnings from God. And these were illustrations of judgment to urge people to repentance. And because of the brevity of time, because in calamities and disasters, people are, lives are snuffed out, one must be prepared to stand before God because one doesn't know the day nor the hour when we're going to be called into his presence. Hence the need for personal repentance. Now the Jews couple sin and suffering together. Uh, they declared that if one was suffering, it was because of sin. In fact, I have found people today who claim that if a person is sick, it's because of some sin in their life. Now, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, you, take, you take Job as a good illustration of this. God declared in the first two chapters of Job that Job was a godly man. He hated evil, and he loved to do the good. And you remember how Satan challenged God concerning Job. 
And then Job turned, and God turned around and challenged Job. Pardon me, challenged Satan to find a flaw in Job. Lost all his goods, lost his family, his houses, and everything else, and his own body was covered with a loathsome disease. That's the end of Satan. He has no more to say. Why do the godly suffer? Sometimes God may take a child of God and use that child of God in suffering to teach angels something of the grace of God. Who knows? As Paul could say in Corinthians, we are a spectacle to men, to demons, to angels. Just because a child of God is in suffering or in affliction or sorrow doesn't mean they're out of the will of God. When Paul was in jail in Acts chapter 16 down there at Philippi with his back bleeding and the feet in the stocks, being beaten up by the jailer, was he out of the will of God? Had Paul sinned? I just sincerely hope that those of you who believe that sin and suffering are coupled together in a person. My friend, just get this idea out of your head. You don't have any Bible for that. In fact, when Pilate killed these people in Galilee, he killed them, slew them where? At the altar. They were offering sacrifices to God. Now, there's no question there had been an insurrection, but that didn't call for Pilate to go into the synagogue and slay these Jews. And I'm sure that the Lord was, was going after these Jews who had come down from Jerusalem. In fact, he said here, he said, do you think that the Galilean sinners were above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, except you repent. You shall all likewise perish. And those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, do you think they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. They were looking at these outside calamities and sitting in judgment on others when they should have been looking within to see what they were. Now, it might be well for me to just stop here and say this. This question of repentance. Now, the word metanoeo, which is the Greek word, means to change your mind. And I would say in New Testament Repentance, you change your mind about God, you change your mind about yourself. You know, a person, a person can turn from his sin. He can be really sorry for his sin and turn from it. But that doesn't make him a Christian. A man can be an alcoholic and give up his alcohol. And as we say, he goes on a water wagon. That doesn't make him a Christian. Giving up sin doesn't make one a Christian. Being sorry for your sin doesn't make one a Christian. I can be sorry for a lot of things, but that doesn't make me a Christian. A Christian is one who is in right relationship with the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Take, for example, if I were to give you an illustration in the New Testament, you take 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where Paul Speaking to these Thessalonians said, how you turn to God from idols. 
to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. You turn to God from idols. A person can turn from his idols and not turn to God. But you can't turn to God without turning your back on your idols. You see, when these idolaters at Thessalonica heard the gospel of the grace of God, that Jesus Christ, God's Son, had died for them, this was a wonderful story for them. This was a wonderful thing that God had made provision for them to know him, to be cleansed and forgiven of their sins and have eternal life in Christ. And many other things we could say about it. Suffice to say that once they turned their eyes on the Savior, their backs were to their idols. They turned to God from their idols. To serve the living and true God. Repentance means to change your mind about God. Men have a distorted idea about God and about the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly they have a, a very short conception of what their own sins are. They're not so bad. I'm as good as anybody else. Can I go to the Old Testament? There's one book in the Old Testament which I've already mentioned today where the primary teaching of the book is repentance. I know that one of the great teachings of the book of Job is why the godly suffer. But the main teaching of Job is repentance. And when God wanted to teach us repentance and give us an illustration of repentance, he took the best man he could find. Not the worst, the best man he could find. And what, what is the end of the book? You remember how Job was smitten and how his philosophical friends came and sat down for a whole week for seven days and just wept when they saw his condition. And then they began to bring up their philosophies against Job. And in all this Job sin, he just refused to move. And then, and then you remember, uh, Elihu, the prophet of God, came and he, he couldn't get through to Job. And then God came on the scene and said, Job, where were you when, the, when I created things? Where were you when the Leviathan came forth? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Just wasn't? Just wasn't? And you remember Job said, I'm going to put my hand in my mouth. I'm going to put a zipper on. And then when you come to the last chapter, 42, Job cried out, I have heard of thee by the hearing of mine ears. Now mine eyes see thee. I abhor myself. When did Job see himself as he really was when he saw the Lord? Same with Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Possibly Isaiah is one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. Isaiah was a wonderful, wonderful character. And yet I read this in, in chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. What happened to Isaiah when he saw the Lord? He cried, Woe is me! Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king. Now, he didn't run away from the Lord. The Lord cleansed his lips. Job didn't run away from the Lord. The Lord turned his captivity. You see, it's beyond, it's not only being sorry for what you've done. Now, that may be included, certainly. Uh, you remember it says in Second Corinthians that godly sorrow worked repentance. Godly sorrow worked repentance. But repentance 
real repentance is not only being sorry for what you've done, but you see yourself in the sight of God as you are, who says, when he saw the Lord, I abhor myself. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Daniel could say, my comeliness is turned to uncomeliness. Dear, my dear friend Peter, commercial fisherman in Luke chapter 5, when he saw the Lord, what did he say? Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a wicked man. You'll never see yourself as you really are until you see the Lord in all his beauty, in all his righteousness, in all his sinlessness. I tell you, friend, when a man says to me, Mitchell, I'll take my chance. I'll stand before God. I can stand before God. My friend, you just haven't any ground to stand on. Romans chapter 3, verses 20, 19 and 20 says, you're going to stand before God with your mouth shut, and you stand there guilty before a righteous God. And by the deeds of the law, by good works, by law-keeping, shall no flesh be justified in God's sight or by the laws and knowledge of sin. I'm quoting that verse, Romans 3.20. You see, the reason why people do not come to the Savior in real repentance is because they've never seen him. They've never seen him. Have you seen him? As you read these Gospels, you take this Gospel through Luke and you see the Lord with all that he has to say and all that he did, this perfect, righteous, holy, sinless Son of God. That's the standard. Why, you say, nobody measures up to that standard. That's right. That's right. Neither you nor me. But that's the standard. A righteous God demands righteousness. A holy God demands sinlessness. But I can't qualify for that. No, neither can you. So what do we do? We come in the presence of God in real repentance. What do you mean? I changed my mind about Mitchell. He's no good. I take God's estimate of him. I have fallen far short of the glory of God. I was dead in trespasses and sins. I've got no ground to stand upon. Not a bit of ground. And we can sing with the songster, I, I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Genuine repentance, my friend, is a rare thing. And people who have a distorted idea of the Savior will have a distorted idea of what real repentance is. When I see the Lord in his beauty and his glory and his righteousness and his sinlessness, then, friend, then I can come, bowing in his presence, acknowledging that I'm a sinner needing a Savior. And the wonder of wonders, his arms are outstretched to receive us. This is what you have in these first five verses. The Lord is calling these Jews to repentance. I said a while ago, the last, the end of the chapter, chapter, the preceding chapter, they were weather-wise but spiritually dead. They could read the signs of the times, but they couldn't read the day in which they lived. Can you? 
I want to tell you again, my friend, there's not much time left for men and women to accept the Savior. And for you to tell me that you can stand upon your own two feet, that your good works will outweigh your evil works, will never, never stand before God. Such a program is out of the picture. In fact, Galatians chapter 3, 22 says, the Scriptures hath concluded, concluded all, all, that's you and me, all under sin. And Romans eleven thirty two says, God hath concluded all, Jew and Gentile, in unbelief. What for? What for? That he might have mercy upon all. That's why when you come to 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And do you remember the Apostle Paul when he came back and reported to the church at Antioch? He talked about how he preached to the Gentiles repentance toward God, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that? Yeah, well, uh, Paul speaks of that in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, and Acts 26, and verse 20. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I'm going to take up in our next lesson the need for national repentance with Israel, which our Lord takes up in verses 6 down through verse 9. But I do want to close with this upon my heart. To you personally, may I just talk to you personally, friend? You say you believe the Bible all your life. You believe that Christ died for your sins. You've always believed that. But have you had a personal relationship with the Savior? The more I see of the Savior in his beauty, in his righteousness, in his character, in his life, the more I realize how far short I have fallen of the standard of God. And what I need, what I need is not reformation. What I need is not some, some ordinance to go through. What I need is not religion. What I need is a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's Son. And God has made the provision whereby you and I can come into his presence boldly in Christ Jesus. Because when you and I accept the Savior as a personal proposition, we receive him, we put our trust in him, we believe in him. He not only forgives us our sins, but he gives us life eternal and covers us with all the righteousness and beauty of Christ. So we stand before God in all the perfection of our Savior. This is God's salvation. This is what God has, this is what God has provided for every individual who put their trust in him. And how thankful I am to God. Even on this radio, many have accepted the Savior. And so many of God's people have been built up in Christ. Oh, just read this book through. Read this gospel through, Luke. Look at the Savior. Fall in love with him. And go out and tell somebody else about him. The Lord bless him. Tomorrow he comes for me. 
Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.